been also on the board representing our talk here in this group. Good evening. I was going to say good afternoon. Um, I'm Cleo Curry. I am the at-large member. We've been on the board since uh, about 2015 and uh, previously served as the long-haul community. And it's great to be here. My name is Michael Cohen. For obvious reasons, you can call me Mike. <laughs> 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 I thought it was funny. No ankle bracelet. I am the Metro Connection uh, representative because rumor has it we are going to get Metro. <laughs> Ron Larson representing Broad Run. Uh, retired from NASA a couple of years ago, so I'd like to give a shout out to my colleagues at James Webb Space Telescope which is coming along just great. We're going to get some wonderful images. What did you do at NASA? Yeah. I was a cost estimator. How'd that to... go? <laughs> the project hated me, but we got them enough money to finish the project. And did you spend a, a, a long time at NASA? I had about 45 years in the space community, not all of it at NASA. My name is Amy Owen, and I, I am a representative from the Loudoun Chamber of Commerce, and I work for the Community Foundation for Loudoun and Northern Fauquier counties. And I'm Sarah Kleckner. I am the transit planner for Loudoun County, and I also serve as the staff liaison to this body. Thank you, Sarah. And like, um, oh, and we still have uh, we have Charles and, and John in there. Uh, Charles, uh, would you? Want to introduce yourself, please, on the phone? Hi, yes, this is Charles Lovett. Has joined the meeting. I'm the Dulles area representative, and I've been on the board, oh man, I don't know, since 2016 or something, 2015. So I'm joining you guys remotely, obviously. Thank you. Thanks, Charles. John. Um, this is John, I'm back on. Okay, John, can you want to introduce yourself? Yes, we can. Yeah, this is John, John Hinkle. I'm Catoctin District. I've been uh, running uh, the transit buses for well over 20 years. I haven't raced lately because I'm semi-retired, but uh, I'm here to help out the Catoctin District. Uh, thanks, John. Um, so as uh, some of our members and staff indicated, it's good to be back in person, good to be back. Um, all your faces and um, and also welcome to the new members again once again uh, glad to have you on board and also uh, our Algonquin uh, tab representative uh, Lad of Chinico uh, he's unable to make it today because he's helping um, Ukrainian relief efforts uh, as part of the uh, community so he's unable to make it tonight uh, so having said that um, any guests um, introduction are there any guests uh, no, uh, not online, not in person. Um, so no guest introductions um, and no public comments. Uh, I don't see any public attending online or here today. Um, so moving on to uh, business matters. Um, so uh, 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 at large, uh, Representative Cleo Curry and myself 
had a had an opportunity uh, to uh, meet with uh, Chair Randall uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, that it's been a while, I think. Maybe four, maybe yeah, three, yeah, three, four weeks ago. It's been a month now. Um, and we had a chance to uh, discuss some of the items that was uh, that came up, I should say, in our last business meeting. And uh, we wanted to provide an update on that uh, from our conversation back to the board and uh, also go from here on a couple of items. So the first item is, um, you know, uh, updates on Metro opening uh, anticipated in the second quarter of 22 and the involvement of the Transit Advisory Board uh, as part of the Metro uh, of Metro's operation. And if you, if you want to speak some of that, and then I think Penny maybe yeah. have to add from a Vomana perspective. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So if you want to, uh, you want to add um, anything from our conversation with Chair Randall on, on how TAP might be involved. Sure. Yeah. The only thing that I would add is that um, Chair Randall made it very clear that she wants TAP involved with the opening events and you know surrounding procedures that go along with that. But having said that, um, she did communicate that she will provide more clarity as they got closer. Because how do we know, how can they tell us what they want to be involved with if we don't have time frame? So with that, I did, I did uh, read that the Metro was pushed out, um, but I'll defer to you to get a little bit of clarity on that. But for the time being, anything that uh, I say Ram and I would want to communicate is uh, when that time comes, Chair Randall um, and her office will communicate exactly the involvement that they want us to have well in advance so that we can be prepared. Uh, but they do want our support in person um, and encouraging folks to arrive in the show. And with that, I would defer to you today. Well, there was sort of a, a, a joke on the dais on the other night uh, about when does Silverline really arrive. Um, in the meetings that I've been in recently, we are gearing everything to a June revenue service start. I'm also hearing that there may be some other factors that may cause a delay beyond that time, but I don't have any time frames. And Mr. Letourneau, as you know, is on the WMATA board. He's intimately involved with what's going on. Um, and um, he, he told the board he could not give a date because he does not have a date. But with regard to our preparations, meaning getting signs and for the new bus routes that we've designed to get to Metro, um, other preparations that we have to do, publicity, information sharing, marketing, and that type of thing, that is all underway with <coughs> the target to have everything ready to go by the end of June. Now, obviously, this could slip, but I don't have that information. So um, I know that uh, I have been working with WMATA for several years, many years now at this point, and it's like, let's see this thing happen. It's going to be very exciting when it happens. We've been also, just so you know, we've been working with WMATA staff, Fairfax County staff, and we've incorporated MWA staff into uh, a kickoff event on whatever day that occurs, but it will be at the Dulles um, International Airport location. Uh, and as Chair Randall said, uh, TAB will be involved, but we just don't have a date at this point. So don't hold your breath. 
because it wouldn't be any good, but uh, it's coming. It will be here eventually. So just don't have a hard date. Understood. Thank you. Yeah. And if I may add, um, also um, speaking with supervisors at journal, I understand they're uh, running test, test runs. Um, they've been running test runs. Uh -huh. um, you guys might be aware. And also the maintenance yard, I think, is coming along in good mm -hmm. speed in anticipation that it will open sometime in summer. Uh, once the runs, once they actually have the runs up and running, they you know to use leverage the maintenance yard. So those are two things that I had take away. And while we are at, at this, I also want to mention that um, Supervisor Umstead and Supervisor Turner um, got appointed to uh, VRT board uh, from Loudon, uh, representing Loudon last night. Oh, I didn't so, know that. Uh, just as uh, for Leesburg District and Ashburn District, um, so they got appointed to that board last night. Um, uh, any, yeah, I was going to say any questions, comments on the metro while we are at that. Previously, you said that one of the, one of the pillars of one of the problems with, with the lag is really you know, these cars. Like, we're still waiting on these cars for certain, that's the 7,006, right? Okay. Um, are we okay on that? Or are we making progress towards goal? Or is that going to impact? I have been told that the lack of 7,000 series cars will not impact the opening of the Silver Line Phase 2. Okay. However, the GM did say at the last Lamada uh, committee meetings, which was two weeks ago, almost two weeks ago, that they had to pull back the 7,000 series cars and do more analysis as to what's right. causing the problem. It looks like there are multiple reasons there are problems. Even though they thought initially it was maybe a singular issue, they're realizing now it's more than that. And so he, in, in an effort to ensure safety, is holding that back until he can ensure that everything has been addressed. He did not give us a time frame on that, and we have a WMATA meeting on Thursday, so we'll probably get an update on that very issue as well. And that's Paul Wiedefeld. I'm sorry? And that's Paul, right? The GM. Paul, Mr. Wiedefeld, yes. Uh -huh. yes. So, so what you're saying is that um, we can launch without them. Yes, yes, that's what we've been told. Okay. Yes, Thanks. yes. And um, back to what uh, was mentioned is that there's two packages here. One is the rail, the two, the three rail stations in, our, in Loudoun County and the yard. And the general manager has been very clear from the onset that we need both the yard operational, fully operational, along with the rail system because the yard is so critical storage of the other cars. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Any other questions, comments? I guess the only thing that I would throw in there is, in case everybody doesn't know, the key date for everybody to hear on the news is they call it ORD or Operational Readiness Date. Once WMATA announces that, they have 90 days to finish their testing and get everything ready. So that's kind of our clock. Once ORD hits, that's really our clock to start. We know we've got 90 days. Uh, we're actually planning for 60 in case something happens, but 90 is what they're saying. So just know that's the date you're listening for. So doing the math is June is not not looking good. No, April, May, June. <laughs> <laughs> we're in mid-March. If they say it this week, you're in mid-June. <laughs> But they asked uh, Letter to bring in some good news. So, so. Yeah. Right. And, I, and I do have to say, historically, 
silver line phase one, it was 60 days from operational readiness. So once they announced operational readiness in silver line phase one, 30 days later they announced the date to start 30 days later, so there were 60 days. So could be, could be 60, could be 90. So I, I guess just from our standpoint, you have a, I don't know, I saw this on the screen, but from our standpoint, operationally, our contractor has to hire more than 60 drivers to make the route, the new route that we have planned work. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of people to try to hire in that short of a period of time. So we've already notified them to get on it. Um, I basically gave them 75-day notification two weeks ago. Um, so they were instructed to be ready by mid-May um, because we anticipated it's going to be a challenge getting that many drivers in here and trained, hired, trained, ready to go. Uh, but that's the internal challenge that we're facing from our, with our operations.
where I live uh, in uh, Blue Ridge District, Brambleton, um, I've been asked by a lot of my past fellow commuters and also um, uh, a lot of community members as to how uh, the uh, commuter bus schedule is going to play out now that the federal government is, you know, slowly asking people to come back in. I think the, I heard that from Charles the other day too, and uh, I believe that that'll be the case for a lot of federal agencies in the area. So, in particular, of interest is the park and ride lots where the commuter buses used to be operating out of, and how this all plays out uh, with the you know anticipated uh, opening of Metro later this summer that we just talked about in length. So, that I want to have um, uh, more of get staff's inputs on those, those, that item in particular, commuter item, and how that's going to uh, you know, scale up uh, to a potential demand. Um, I understand that's going to be a survey that's going to be sent out to the uh, federal uh, employees or consultants on the return to workplace, but uh, how, how are we going to approach that uh, from a traffic standpoint? The demand uh, that might be coming out there. I can certainly address that. Um, the park and ride lots are all still there, right? We haven't shut any of them down. We've got one possibly going away. Ashford North is likely going away, but we have a 500 space one mountain park and ride lot less than a mile from it, which is why we let that property go. Um, so it's, it's a more than fair trade off. Ashford North is 200 spaces, one mile is 500 spaces. So all the park and ride lots are still in play, so that's not an issue. Um, internally, um, and really, I guess more, it's not even just internally, it's really from county administration down. Um, at this point, we're waiting for ridership to come back, and then we are going to, it, it's almost like starting over, to be honest with you. Stop, we we won't start. Huh? Sorry, is it starting? It's like starting over again. Starting over, yeah. No, I, um, to you know, there is, I, I think a lot of people, or some people are anticipating that we will just go back to how we were pre-pandemic, and that is not going to happen. Um, we don't anticipate the ridership being anywhere near that level. Um, you know, and I, I think we have a ridership update here, but to give you guys, to just kind of give you an idea, you know, pre-pandemic, we were moving 5,000 people a day. Um, and right now we're at 500 people a day, which is up from 300 people a day. So we are seeing increases. Um, we will continue to grow the service. There, there are plans to just let it grow organically. Um, our biggest challenge right now is what parking ride lots do we serve? Because one of the things that we are realizing pretty quickly as we start to ramp back up a little bit is it's it's better to serve out of the central parking ride lots and give people multiple options than it is to try to split all the buses out to the, the original parking ride lots and give them one or two options. We found that especially in Dallas South we opened up with two buses going down to DC and two buses going to Pentagon and hardly anybody's riding them and we're getting calls because they're going to Dallas the Dallas North Transit Center where there's many more options that they can run. So, you know, on our end, that's kind of where we're, we're at right now. We're, we're gonna, you're going to probably see more buses coming out of Leesburg and Dallas North that are more in the central that people can 
get to. And as they ramp back up again, and as we get more and more data and feedback from like the Dallas South people or even the Percival folks and the folks out west, we'll start to add more service out there. That's the general plan right now. There is no uh, light switch plan to put 30 buses back into service and start running again. We are going to let it grow organically. It is not cheap to run a bus, so we, we and obviously we have fuel issues too, right? We're paying higher fuel prices, so we don't want extra buses running around and putting 80 you know, to 160 miles a day, depending on how often they run on these buses, if there's two people in. So we are, we are trying to physically grow this service back up. Uh, so it's going to be a, a slow process. Now, I will say we've seen more movement in the last 60 days than we saw in the last two years with commuter bus. So a lot of this will be driven. We were 70% uh, roughly federal employee driven when we were pre-pandemic. So if the federal government starts to pull people back in, which they are, um, we should see that ramp up a little more and a little more and a little more. But it, it will be, it'll be a combination of proactive and reactive. You know, as we see certain lots growing, we'll probably add more service to them to give people more options. Um, as we get more and more Data, meaning phone calls and emails from different parking lot lots. And folks saying, "When do you start here? When do you start here?" We'll start to spread out to those parking lot lots. Uh, it's it's unfortunately right now it's just it is really like starting over again. We just we have to ride the data as it comes in, and we keep we're monitoring the ridership every day. Uh, so as we see buses go, uh, we'll we'll start putting them where they need to be. Uh, and just to give you a quick example. In a pre-pandemic, we had numerous buses that had standees on on the commuter bus side. Um, up until now, you know, up until really January, we didn't have a bus that had more than 15 people. Um, we now have several buses that have over 40 people on them now. So they're starting to come back. Folks are starting to come back. Um, and I also think, just from what I'm hearing through the news and other outlets, um, that it sounds like the president is trying to get people back into the office because he knows it affects all the transit worker salaries, it affects all the ancillary businesses around the federal buildings, it affects the federal buildings themselves. So he realizes it's a lot bigger than just making people feel good to telework every day, right? So he's trying to, from what I hear, they're trying to balance that out somehow. So uh, we anticipate as staff that there will be a minimum of, to, if we're, let's just say we're at 100% pre-pandemic, we anticipate if we get back to 60%, it's a huge win because basically what that's based off of, five days a week, you take two days a week to telework, you're at 60%. So that's kind of where our logic is and where we're at our goal is kind of to get to that level. Uh, we don't anticipate that for a couple of years, to be honest with you. This is specific to long haul. That's a great point. And Metro Connection too, by the way. Yeah, Metro Connection. Uh, the Metro Connection services are basically all the commuters. The uh, the local fixed route services stays in Mountain County has been very healthy. Uh, it dropped down into the you know fifties in the pre in the early stages of the pandemic. We've been as high as 85 percent, and we're hovering around you know seventy five now. Um, I'm convinced we would have been over 90, but they don't in 
January really hurt all the traffic services. They took a dip and now they're coming back out of it. So really that's kind of where we are with all of that. Uh, thanks, Scott. As Scott mentioned, you know, the businesses in the district uh, probably could use this boost. I think that's why the president is looking at bringing back early workers back in the workplace in the district. But um, I'm not sure if everybody else is hearing the same uh, from other people, like in terms of uh, you know uh, having the need or the demand uh, to get to the workplaces in the district. You know, could be metro connects or long haul commuters, but. Yeah, that's been my experience, and even, you know, our offices are targeting, you 
you know, uh, repurposed or, you know, leveraged, uh, you know, if we don't see the same level of uh, ridership on computer. Um, so, uh, Cleo, if you want to touch up on any of those items. Well, the, only, the only thing that I took away from that discussion was that there was a bit of pushback hesitation because of um, we might be getting a sports team at the um, so this was the main thing to be used for that and how ended there. <laughs> so so that's a potential uh, place coming uh, if we don't see the same level of ridership. Uh, it's just again uh, Chad Randall's thought process I'm sure it has to go to the full board as an, as, an, as an item and well thought through, but that's the initial take. I think there's some purposes that they could potentially leverage uh, for those uh, unused uh, vehicles. So that's, that's. If I can jump in here, Scott, and then you can add to it because you work with the day-to-day -day details. One of the strategic discussions we have every year when we go to the DRPT, Department of Rail and Public Transit, is what buses are scheduled to be replaced and what buses do we really need? So, for example, we had several buses, the long haul of the large buses, due for replacement. Last cycle, not this past January, but the previous January, the board had given guidance to go for two CNG, two electric, and two hybrids. The RPT was willing to give up four coaches for two electric and two CNGs. They weren't willing to gamble with hybrids because they had bad luck with it across the the Commonwealth. So each year we try to step back and say, what's going on with our fleet? What kind of demand are we having in what sectors? And what is the fleet that we need to have for the future? So we're still on the on the cusp of that because we don't know yet what the future is going to hold. My prediction is that we're not going to have as much long haul ridership as we've had in the past. But given what we've experienced with the COVID pandemic, there is a lot of demand within the county for service just to get from home to the grocery store to medical appointments, things of that nature. So having service within the county, I think, is going to become more and more important. And with the Silver Line, you've got other options besides long haul to get downtown. Now, I'm not saying they're the same riders necessarily, because long haul is a really a, a very highly regarded service for those that use it. Um, Silver Line is attractive in that it's, you can get on and just ride and read whatever you need to do, but it's a longer ride. So the idea of transit is to create options for people. And so we can't say everybody has to ride Silver Line, no uh, long haul service at this point. So, um, so as we look each year to replace, we look at what makes sense at that time. And as time goes on, we're going to get a better feel for what we should be replacing with. So, so let, me, let, me, let me follow on that because I think the one important part that Penny left out there was when she references electric EV transit and when she references CNG transit, they're smaller buses. So the commuter coach is a 45-foot, 55-passenger bus over the road coach that goes downtown. So Penny's point was last year when these came up, we were like, okay, clearly we don't need commuter buses, right? So now it's time to downsize. So we didn't get fewer buses, we just got smaller buses to, to handle the transit within the county and to the metro rail system. So when she mentioned the EV and the CNG, that specifically what she was talking about was we were going from a bigger bus to a smaller bus. And every year, we're going to have that same 
view and we're going to do the analysis, we're going to look at the data, we're going to look at the travel patterns, we're going to look at the ridership trends, and we'll make a decision on whether or not when the next eight, you know, next year, if eight more buses are due, commuter buses are due, we'll decide, you know, maybe we replace and we get four commuter buses and four transit buses. If not, maybe we get eight transit buses. Um, it just really, we let the numbers drive, drive what we're doing. Um, I will say this, I want to be very clear about, you guys had a conversation with Chair Randall. Um, the board and staff have had zero discussions about getting out of buses early, meaning before the 12 year 500,000 mile mark. Yeah. That's a big deal. You are you're essentially you're going against grant standards when you do that, and you will likely not get another grant if you do that. Now, the FTA may come back and change those rules, but I have heard no discussions of that at all. Um, so I just want to be clear that it's, you know, there have been zero discussions about that at all at a staff level or a board level with us. So I just want to make sure that that's clear. Craig, what right are there. the measurements again? 125,000 miles or? No, well, it depends on the bus. There are FTA regulations on every bus type, okay? So when and so when you get a grant, for example, ours are not federal grants or state grants, but they still follow the federal regulations as far as how long you can keep a bus. With you know, if we're gonna, if the state's gonna give you a half million dollars for a bus, you're required on a commuter bus to keep it for a minimum of 500,000 miles for 12 years, whichever comes first, you can get rid of it. Um, so obviously, if you're putting you know, 60,000 miles on a bus every year, you can get rid of that bus much quicker than 12 years because the mileage is going to hit if you choose to do that. Um, and the basis for that is, is that they're giving you the money, you have to keep it for that minimum amount of time, and then, then if you met both of those that criteria, when you go to apply for your next, you can apply for state of good repair buses, right? There's two pots of money to deal with here, and then getting way into the weeds, but state of good repair means I've already bought a bus, I've kept it up, we've run it well, we maintained it well, and now at five years, or at 500,000 miles in 12 years, I can go after state of good repair grant funding. There's another pot, enhancement, meaning I'm actually buying new buses in it and I'm expanding my fleet. Two different pots of money, um, they're, they're, they're on a merit-based because all the jurisdictions all the jurisdictions go after that funding. So state good repair is the highest one. That's the one that we need to keep. We keep our buses in shape and we flip. If we go sooner than the twelve the five hundred thousand miles or or the twelve years, we don't get the state good repair. We're automatically ineligible for it. So I, I, I that's why I want to make it clear that those discussions have not been had yeah. because I don't know and I no, honestly I don't believe the board would say no. So again, this is not a uh, this is not a board discussion. This was just um, uh, our uh, conversation with Chair Randall, and uh, you know I happened to add it to a conversation uh, with Chair Randall uh, just to get her thoughts as a as a as an individual board member and as a chair, not necessarily speaking for the whole board. Uh, this was uh, in line with you know uh, you know our membership raised the last time. Uh, 
fiscal responsibility around uh, you know uh, owning the fleet uh, that we potentially may not have a need and have not used in the past. Uh, again, to Scott's point, this has not been discussed with the board of supervisors um, at large yeah, across the supervisors or with the time of staff uh, with that discussion. So having said that, I would like to move on to the next item. Um, um, uh, so this was more a request. Um, so, in, you know, alongside the world of transit, uh, um, there's a request from, uh, uh, this again came up uh, in our conversation with Chair Randall uh, for, you know, any apparatus uh, that needs to be installed if Loudoun has to do uh, a bike share program uh, in Loudoun County uh, similar to uh, the district. Uh, whether it's a bike share where people can just take a bike anywhere and uh, just get on a trail. Uh, now that we are having uh, a well connected in, in the path of having a well connected trail system in the county, in that thought process is uh, to uh, what are the uh, what are the costs, various apparatus needed, and cost estimate associated with it. And um, I think uh, she wanted to see how the transit board feels and if there's anybody in the transit. Membership. If you want to do a uh, subcommittee or something of the nature, or, or individual member or a couple of members who want to pursue this, take this uh, item and uh, research more on that, and uh, uh, come back with uh, their research or recommendations. I think that's the that's an ask uh, on the transit board if there's any interest uh, from the transit board to do that. And, and can I answer that? Sure. Um, we're preparing a an item to go to the Transportation Land Use Committee, Mr. Okay. Turner's committee, and it's, it's, his inquiry is regarding access to Metro Rail. How do you get to Metro Rail? What are your options? Mm -hmm. So you've got bike and pad options that are mostly being developed right now. I don't know if there's any routes that are actually in place yet. And then, of course, the transit routes that, that Scott has already spoke to that we've cre created and will activate once Metro Rail begins. Um, so I just want to let you know that that there will be a comprehensive picture about transit and bike pad to get to Metro Rail, but that will go out in, in the middle of April, and okay. we'll be glad to share that with you. Okay. Um, so if you've got a committee working, that would certainly be helpful information to have. Sure, sure. The only thing that I just wanted to jump in, and because uh, this came up at the end of the call, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. And it was to ask for the board to consider, um, again, putting together a committee or to, to determine like a fiscal estimate so that we also have a bike share program in addition to fair tax. Right, we don't have one to my knowledge. Yes. Yeah. So with that, whatever committee that does get in place with, would have to work in partnership with transit. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's, that's the real ask is if there are, number one, do we need to raise a, a vote to create a
15 major efforts that we have to undertake. And of course, we haven't gotten to the budget piece yet, but I'm not sure that's going to be a good picture. But um, the challenge we have from a staff perspective is finding the time in terms of what's the priority, what, what comes first type of thing. So, I mean, I'm not wanting to stop anything that TAP is doing here because I think it's a very good discussion and something that we're going to need. The question in my mind is timing for us because of everything else we've got going. That's exactly right. Yes. So, would the committee essentially have this for the end of this year <laughs> and talk for next year? Because there's just a lot going on right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mark, you had a yeah. comment? Generally speaking, from my understanding, we get a lot of these uh, companies that we deal with from a hospitality perspective uh, throughout. U.S. Most of these are um, private services. Um, they're not usually funded by the counties. They may provide the opportunity for them to do that, but these bike share folks will generally come in um, and provide those bikes. The reason they're doing it is they're gathering, in a lot of the cases, they're gathering the data. Um, they're selling that data. They're making money off of it. So generally speaking, it's usually not a cost thing from a county perspective. Um, it's a permission perspective. So they're wanting to come in and do that. And the data that they get is pretty amazing. They're seeing where people are traveling, where they're going. They're cross-referencing the geo, um, geospatially, so restaurants, um, where they live, doing all that stuff. Um, and that's how they're making the money. Um, so it would probably be from a lot of time perspective, and this is scooters, bikes, et cetera, is um, they'll start probably reaching out to those service providers, see if they would be interested in bringing the program into Loudoun County. And then generally, it's working with the transit places and businesses to get the space for those bike shares. Mm -hmm. um, that's really the, the leap that comes. That's why they generally reach out to hospitality firms. Hey, can we put bike shares in front of your hotel? Can we put your, the, you know, the charging pads for the scooters in front of your hotel? It's great for your guests, et cetera. So um, just something to think about. So it may not be as much of a heavy lift from a fiscal estimation perspective as much so as finding a provider that may be interested in doing that. Is that part of the, I know Sarah had mentioned this should be added to the um, staff presentation in April that you just mentioned, Penny, um, on the uh, uh, transit access to Metro Rail, uh, item to TLUC. Uh, but um, is what Mark just mentioned, is that part of the uh, consideration there? Is a, is a firm being considered for that uh, transit access to Metro Rail? I'm, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Is a firm, are firms being considered as part of our, as part not, of Not at the time, because we've got to get the, the, the infrastructure in place. We don't have the bike access, the ped access that we need yet. And and we've been working with VDOT, with proffers, with companies, developers, to get that network in place around the rail station. And oh. Susan Glass will be making that okay. presentation. She's been leading that effort. Um, so. I think getting this information by the end of this year would be very timely. Uh, it's just that you just know that this VDOT project in terms of getting the bike pad in place has been taking years to get done. It takes a long time to get these projects done. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you'll just make sure to understand this. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Um, <coughs> when Kane says bike pad, she's literally talking infrastructure. She's talking bike trails, right. pedestrian yeah. walk. Right. So when they're talking the T-Lock, that's what's going to the T-Lock. What's missing, what needs to be built, that's really what's going to the T-Lock. And then they've 
sidewalks, the bike trails to get there, what are we doing transwalks? I think once you see the station open and that access there, those providers will come naturally and say, hey, we want to put in bike share programs. Absolutely. Everybody's going to scooter now. Bikes is like yeah. 2010 now in scooters. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so I think that will be a, you know, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. So, yeah. So I if I can also add, one of the problems or the downside is maybe not so much on bikes here, but on scooters in Arlington, you've got scooters thrown down all over the sidewalk. It's a trapping hazard. If you're handicapped, that's really a hazard, you know. So <coughs> I should say other abled, excuse me. But um, those are some dynamics we have to consider as we look at that program. Well, exactly, because as soon as I heard it, you know, the request, number one, I was thinking, well, of course, right? You know, that sounds like a great idea. And then I immediately thought, well, this is a big list because there's a million things that I'm not thinking about right now. Yeah, I just don't know. Well, and we could always give you contacts in other jurisdictions and in terms of their experience. If you, you know, if the committee, subcommittee wants to proceed with that, we can give you contacts in, in other, like Arlington, Fairfax, Alexandria. To contact and talk to them about what's worked and what doesn't. The so one thing that I would say to them is that now that we brought it and kind of had a discussion about it, is maybe table it till the next meeting so yeah. that folks have had time to digest whether or not they participate yeah. in that. Yeah. This is not that. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree with the thought process. Uh, plus, also, I would like to see uh, what comes out of the staff presentation to TLUC. Uh, next month, and you know, what's their take on uh, the items that was presented by the staff on the TLA committee, and then we'll, I think that'll give us some time when we come back in May, um, and then uh, to think through this and then proceed further. We'll table this until May, um, unless somebody strongly feels a uh, need to form a subcommittee tonight. That's a that's a good suggestion. If I can make one quick point on that, if, and maybe Claire, you're maybe you're the right person, but if one of us could take some of those contacts and make some calls to give us an idea of the size of that list before May, I think that would really help inform the group as to how big of an effort it really is. I mean, just when I say those calls, I mean to Arlington Fairfax, those representatives. Well, it's not more than a couple of like work time over the next couple of months. Mm -hmm. We'll talk to them. But I think if you um, have them, my point was just simply to give an idea of how yeah, much work yeah. it's going to be so whether it's you or whether it's anyone in this room yeah. um, you spoke to it so I <laughs> tag your it right uh, but if, if anyone else wants to do it but I think this would be a great idea to to give the rest of us an idea of how much work it's going to be as a separate
happy to have a call if you want sure. to just chat sure. after the interview. Sure. <laughs> March, right? March. <laughs> So 
sort of provide them incentives um, to ride the metro um, or metro metro connects to promote metro ridership. And also, Scott, um, um, you know, that's where I wanted to, you know, uh, I know that we have done some marketing materials in the past um, for the, from a DTCA traffic standpoint uh, to increase the ridership in the last few years. Uh, so I, I think uh, that'll be a, uh, back to you on that, on how we can do that. Well, I mean, here's what I can tell you. Over the last two years, we've done no marketing because it's been COVID and there's been nothing going wrong. Prior to that, you know, we def we had a a I don't even know what we classify that position as. We've changed it to make it into a marketing specialist right. position, but prior to that, it wasn't. So really, we up until now, in all honesty, we really have done very little of any marketing of any of our services. I mean, the commuter bus pre-pandemic was marketed itself. Yeah. Right. We were keeping up with. Really, what it was doing, and the local fix route. In all honesty, prior to this board, we were basically told just leave it alone and make sure it's running. Uh, so it's a new world for us. We are starting the market now. Um, we just had a really successful Rediscover Transit marketing campaign that was DRBT uh, uh, really set up, and then we kind of rode the coattails of it, but. Um, the amount of impressions we got on the website and the amount of uh, the data, the metrics that we're getting feedback from the radio spots have been off the chart. So we're very excited about that. We're going to rerun that campaign again um, to get people back onto the buses. We're hoping that's going to help. Um, I think, uh, did Penny mention it? Somebody mentioned it earlier, uh, us having a, you know, the gas, yeah. with the gas prices being so high, we're going to incorporate that into that campaign. Um, but I, I, you know, part of me struggles with this item that you have here because at a dollar a fare right now for the local picture in the metro to get to the metro, you don't really get, I mean, everybody else is at two, right? We've been there forever at one. So, um, and I will tell you this, when we did it, and I looked all over for the marketing materials to try to find that, um, Unfortunately, the lady that did all that stuff, her mind, our minds don't work the same, so I can't find it on the G drive. I don't know what folder she's put it in and hit it in, but so I'm still looking for it. I'm sure it's there somewhere. Uh, but I can tell you anecdotally, I do remember that we had about a 5% ridership bump when we went to zero fares when we were originally pushing the silver line when phase one open. And we went from really charging a dollar to charge no fares. We saw about a 5% increase, maybe a little bit higher. And then when the fares came back again, it, you know, it did spike down. And I think we ended up with a net of about a 2% increase. Uh, it wasn't a lot. You know, it helped. It wasn't a lot. But we also had some operational issues in there. The, the Wheelie Rest and East Metro Station was difficult to get in and out of for our buses. We lost a lot of time. Um, so there were some other complicating factors in there. But, um, I know that Penny and I have to this point, you know, we actually have one of our, we have a whole sheet of, I think it's 26 projects now that we have to start at some point in time, yep. and one of them is a fair start to, to try to figure out some of where we need to go with, you know, transit inside the county, um, you know, we're trying to get away from Metro Connection Services as a separate service because 
Up until now, Metro Connection services were specifically designed to go from parking ride docks to Metro Rail stations. Now we're going through neighborhoods and parking ride docks and picking up. So it'll be much more aligned with the local fixed route services than it is going to be that standalone service. So we're it's, it's going to be local transit really. It'll all just be together, kind of blended together to exception of the cost. Um, and and the point is to address that that piece of it. And and then. You know, I think what's probably going to come back to the board at some point is they're going to have a more philosophical debate over do we go with a zero fare and try to get as many people on the buses as possible and get cars off the road, single occupancy vehicles off the road, or you know, do we recoup some of that money? Um, you know, I think that's the, the debate that they're going to have to have on the board, and the study will just literally point out the facts and the figures and you know what's happened when they, you know in other jurisdictions with zero fares. You know, we were at zero fares for a while, but it was pre pandemic, it didn't really count because you couldn't you know, people were scared to get on the on the rail or on the train, on the buses. So uh, we do I guess the that's a long winded way to say we, we do we have to get a fair study and figure out what we need to do. Thanks, Scott. Um, so if there aren't any burning questions, I would like to move on to the organizational matters. Um, uh, so Mark prepared the minutes and uh, shared uh, with staff and Sarah had sent that earlier today uh, for review. Are there any um, questions on the November and January meeting minutes? Any questions, comments on those minutes? Uh, I haven't had a chance to look through the November one. I, I did look through the January one, and there were just a, a couple little typos, uh, notably like DTCIs in one instance was DTCU, uh, and then I think in the place where we made the me next meeting announcement, it said the 15th rather than the 16th today. So there were just uh, a couple minor little adjustments. That, uh, that I can put together and, and send to Mark. Okay. Yeah, they're grammatical or whatever I want to say thank you to Mark for getting the minutes done. This is a lot of work, which I want to talk about later on when we get to staff items. Sorry for the delay. Thanks for doing them. <laughs> so, um, so is, is there is there any other changes or questions, um, comments on the meeting minutes in addition to what Sarah mentioned? Uh, if not, is there a motion to approve the meeting minutes as uh, corrected? Um, that's Sarah's suggestion. A motion seconded. All in favor? Uh, All right. Any opposed? No. All right. So much easier than the role model. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's one main thing that I. Um, and efficient. Yeah, and I started coming in here during pandemic. It was so much easier to do that roll call from here than home. I couldn't see anyone up there, so it's much better, much better here. All right, moving on to the next item um, on the organization matters, member classification, inactive status, and request for replacement. Uh, I don't think we have any, right, Sarah? For that. Uh, no, no updates on this end. Okay. We, right. we do have our three new members, which I'm uh, very happy about. Yep. So thank you all for being willing to serve. Yep. 
Yeah, welcome. And um, our only vacant seat or open seat is uh, Swelling District. Um, and the local bus. And local bus. So two two seats uh, open uh, currently is Sterling and local bus. Uh, so if um, any for membership um, is aware of uh, somebody from riding a local bus or uh, from the Sterling District, please uh, uh, let Sarah. All right. Um, staff updates, ridership uh, update, uh, Mr. Farrell. All right. Um, so you've got most of the information in the agenda. I'll hit a couple of high points. Um, not so much on the ridership, if you will, um, at least not the, the further past ridership. Um, more recently, probably the most interesting update on ridership, I would say, has come over the past just a couple of weeks. Uh, just a couple of anecdotal uh, items. Doing some looking. On our local fixed route system, in the month of February, we had three days where our total number of trips taken exceeded a thousand. Um, and that was since the Omicron variant hit, we saw very few thousand day, uh, ridership days. But in March alone, we've already had six days in excess of a thousand. So, again, indications that local fixed route is again ticking upwards. Um, let me think on that real quick. To put that in perspective, okay, what was yeah, I knew where you were going to go. <laughs> Great mathematical mindset. Right. So pre-pandemic, pre we were around 1,200, between 12 and 1,300. So breaking the 1,000 was an important barrier for us you know, to, to hit on the local fixed route. Sorry. Which we had been hitting around it in the fall prior to, uh, again, if you've been tracking or looking at the we were pretty healthy, or not healthy, but showing the most life around October and then Omicron and the holidays. Um, on the commuter side, Scott alluded to this earlier. On March 8th, we had a pretty monumental event, and that was we had a trip in which our ridership exceeded 40 passengers on a trip. That was the first time since the start of the pandemic. Um, since March 8th, we've had three more trips in excess of 40 passengers. Um, in perspective, as Scott mentioned, there are 55 seats on those buses, so um, we've started touching base with the our contractor. We'll discuss it tomorrow, actually, in our weekly meetings, um, reminding them that we, we still have buses, that the county is um, part of our normal schedule. We have two buses in the morning that are just available in the event of having a capacity issue. So we're going to remind them how to, when to pull them in and how to use them, and et cetera. Um, so we haven't, we haven't used them in the past few years, but um, we're going to make sure we're ready to set those buses in. Um, so there's just a couple of little anecdotes um, okay. that definitely indicate the past. And, and also anecdotally, I would say that, when did it take two days off? Three weeks ago? I think it was that week. The phones just seem to get a little busier. The emails seem to get a little busier. Um, so I think we're definitely starting to feel some some life out there. So hopefully that continues. Oh, green sheets. Green sheets. Okay. Um, so a couple other things that admit uh, just in, that we've been working with, as you can imagine, staff has been very busy. Obviously working on the Silver Line phase still. Um, there's no one who will be happier to see it arrive than Sarah, I think. 
been giving her nightmares for the past 18 months. I don't know. There's a lot of us that have been looking for this. But a couple of things we've had to work with, and I'm sure you guys saw in the news, the Teddy Roosevelt Bridge closed to any vehicles in excess of 10, 10 tons, which means our commuter buses. So we got that notice at about, I think, 11.30 or 1.30 on Friday. Oh, that's it. Thanks. The trucks. So, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh. Yeah, so this whole 
bracing and monitoring those events. Fortunately for us, I think the first day, couple days, they stayed on the Bellway, which all we have to do is get past the Bellway. Then maybe that was last week, and it was then this week they decided to take the tactic of going up 395 and across the southeast southwest freeway in DC. Um, again, that stayed out of our area. We were actually in good shape on that. Um, we just had, we have a few drivers who like to use the 14th Street Bridge to get into the city. Uh, so we told them to stay away from that that day. But when we saw that, we started having a conversation internally with the contractor to say, what if they try to use 66? So let's have that in the back of the mind in the playbook. Well, lo and behold, today, um, part of the convoy, they split into groups and the private vehicles that have been in the uh, convoy we're going to go down 66. Um, the commercial vehicles were all barred, um, and so they were not going to take that step. Um, so we started making plans, started making our reroute plans this morning to use the GW to get into the city for the afternoon service. Um, fortunately, the Capitol Bellway won again, um, and apparently the part of the convoy that was going to get off on 267 to go into 66, Good. 
it'll take them 12 to 15 months to get in. Um, that will give us 12 to 15 months to get the electric vehicle chargers installed at the maintenance facility. Uh, we are not going to install natural gas fueling stations in our lot because this is a pilot. We have a, a coral station down by Dallas Airport. It's close to a couple of our routes we're going to use for those uh, for the pilot piece of it. So those have been ordered and they're, uh, that process is moving forward finally. Um, the next one is the board member initiative for fares free students or, or free fares for students. Um, uh, as you, I assume you are all aware that the board
And I also recall um, part of the discussion was, I believe, James, you mentioned that uh, for kids um, um, that, um, that are younger, uh, we need to have an adult or somebody uh, you know, traveling with them. Because I think there was, that was also part of the discussion that night um, uh, on, the motion, on the motion that was passed. But, um, well, there are no, just, just for the TAB's understanding, we do not, there is not a policy in place for kids riding on the bus outside of right. children under five riding free. Yeah. But there's no policies in place on this one, or, and really I've checked over a bunch of them, the peer jurisdiction, that says how a younger child can ride without an adult. Uh, I don't know if it's just something that's overlooked by everybody, but there's just no policy for it. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Um any questions on that before we move on to the uh, budget update and the tab charter uh, from Penny? Okay, quick budget update. And again, I want to again thank the tab for the support, the memorandum of support for our budget items. We had three requests or packages of requests in the in the proposed budget. One was a mobility services coordinator with three vans for the um, seniors and other able-bodied individuals. The board approved that with very few questions, so we'll be implementing that program. We're very, very excited about that. <clears throat> that came out of a study that was presented to the to the board during the transit summit last spring. So we're delighted that is moving forward. We'd also proposed weekend service for the Silver Line, given that Silver Line should happen sometime by June 2022. You can quote me on that. <laughs> And uh, we were thinking, you know, the board has invested such a, a huge amount of money and time and effort into this program. We really want to support weekend service. However, as homeowners in Loudoun County, you know what's happening to your, your assessments on your own property. And the board is really, really sensitive to that. And they are trying to find ways to hold down the increases in the budget this cycle because it's just so dramatic on, on assessed valuations going up. I think one of the impacts of having the Silver Line, this is my theory, um, is the Silver Line coming to Loudoun County makes Loudoun County more attractive to more people to live out here, which in turn causes more demand for houses, which causes the, the resale or the sale value to go up. And when the assessor goes out and, and does their assessment, they compare what the market bears in that, that area. So many people, across the county. I don't know. I've not talked to anybody who had their assessment go down this year. Uh, everybody I've talked to said it went up. So the board is trying to control costs. So they made the decision on, um, I guess it was Monday night, to not do the weekend hours. Um, not that they're going to not do it. It's just that they can't do it this fiscal year. And there was some discussions, can we do it mid-year? And the board, again, seeking to keep the tax rate down. Um, said no, let's wait until next next fiscal year to consider that. So it's not off the table, it's probably delayed is what it really comes down to. And um, it was emphasized that the board would like some data on who would be riding those uh, routes if we were to open the weekend routes. So I don't know how you can get that data until you open up the routes, but we could probably do a survey to see would you be interested type of thing. And then the third item we had were three FTEs uh, to support the day-to-day -day operations of transit, the data analyst, the uh, transportation operations planner, and the uh, assistance analyst. 
Um, this request died. I mean, it wasn't funded to begin with, and so it was going to be a heavy lift to get it even up in front of the board. There was a lot of discussion about it. Um, there was a vote of four to four, four four, four against, one absent, and so because it was a tight vote, it died. Um, however, in today's package of materials going back to the board was information about how our FTEs have changed or have not changed since say 2013. So, and it included in that package is information about how we compare to Arlington, Alexandria, and Fairfax, um, and OmniRide. And um, just for comparison purposes, Arlington is at 15 FTEs. Okay, let me back up and say, in our transit operations, we have seven FTEs, just to give you perspective, a baseline. Arlington has no less than 15, and I think three part-time support positions. Um, Alexandria has, <coughs> do you remember, Scott? I can't remember Alexandria. Fairfax has 42 with support positions. OmniRide has 40 compared to R7. So, you know, it's really, when you see that, those numbers, and of course I can say that the board had not seen those numbers on Monday night. So um, I'm hoping that this additional information will give them some context as to why we were asking for the FTEs. And just to put that in quick kind of perspective for you, for you, OmniRide and Dash, I think Dash had 30-something employees. It's about so right 34 or something. We're the same size. Yeah, that's PR. Oh, that PRTC. Yeah, it used to be PRTC. They now call themselves Omni, right? Yeah. But so yeah, they're, we're we're roughly the same size as them, route wise and bus wise. Um, same for Dash. Um, so it's it's one of the things that we keep trying to tell the board is if you want us to be able to get in and, and look at innovative technologies and innovative ways to to operate transit and, and look into the future. You gotta give us some help because right now we're we're drowning trying to stay in the day-to-day -day world. So uh, that's the point we're trying to make. And um, I did a watch a portion of the council's uh, uh, presentation to the board, and the board did ask uh, if the staff had to pick and choose what the priority of the positions would be if they had to uh, separate these positions out, and if they had to vote on for one position or two positions and stuff all three together. I think the staff um, did make their make their valid points in terms of having the analysts go in first that would help them free up from uh, spending a lot of time uh, while they take care of operational day-to-day -day stuff where they can look at data, information, and see how they best can serve the transit needs and plan for the future with the new technologies coming in and uh, whatnot. But um, I really, I, I really was hoping that uh, if not all the three positions. Uh, at least one position, or if not two positions, would uh, make it through the budget. But unfortunately, uh, all three positions didn't get through Monday uh, night. But I hope it changes. Right, and it could change. On Monday, there, there's another work session tomorrow night and a work session on Monday night. Monday night, they will wrap up. We'll know Monday night what happens. So uh, I hope that changes because, um, you know, having, um, you know, like, Many of our transport members have been uh, on the transport for four years, and I know that they, what Scott, um, uh, Sarah, and uh, Steve, and Penny, they do um, on a daily basis. The 
thank you again for your support. That was certainly happy to. Um, Can you tell me for me afterwards which supervisors voted against? Uh, yeah, it's public record. Uh, if I can remember correctly, I don't want to get it wrong. Um, Kirshner, Buffington, Sane, and Chair Randall. Was it Sane's or Turner? Sane. Yeah, it's in the it's in the record of the. Uh, well, I remember Letourneau made the motion, and uh, I think Armstead seconded it. Uh -huh. um, but um, yeah. you're probably right on the votes. Yeah. So it's not over yet. So we'll see. I'm hopeful that something will shift a little little bit differently before the. Yeah, and we can we can talk to our supervisors. Uh, to that's I think Rushi's point. Uh, myself included to Buffington and. Uh, and chair and other things and see um, you know why or why not. I don't want to get in between you and your supervisor. That's clearly up to any one of you to do as as an, an advisor to the board. Um, so I don't want to step into that. That's really up to you to do. And, and I don't want to go over to go longer, but can you um, provide figures again for the other county how many they have? Um, oh, yes. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> it, it should be in the public record now for government, for the uh, board's meeting for tomorrow night. Okay. It was released to the board this afternoon. If you go to government board of supervisors meeting, I believe their agenda is already posted for tomorrow night. And you go to the package called Questions, the package about questions under the Department of Transportation Capital Infrastructure. There's two responses that we provided. One was about the numbers of FTEs in, in the region in our comparison. And the second was to clarify to Mr. Supervisor Turner's question from Tuesday night or Monday night that the FTEs, these three FTEs, are independent of weekend service. So we wanted to make sure that was clear. I was not real clear about that on Monday night. I mean, wanted to make sure that's clear. That could cause some change in perspective from, from members of the board by by Monday night. So. Copy test is announced. The there's, there's no copy test. Go to the, uh, um, uh, for the county that you can go to the H drive, go to county I'm board. I'm in the board business meeting at 315. <clears throat> There is no copy test. They don't do a copy test. They just the tow board keeps a running record of how the votes go for throughout the work session process. Okay. And uh, also while I'm, while we are at um, supervisor Letourneau, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Okay. I was in the wrong place. Um, I, now I know what Penny was trying to say. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a little bit uh, maze to get through those documents. But uh, while we are also uh, supervisor Letourneau did recognize. Uh, contribution to the local bodies that yeah, she's been supporting on Vamana and uh, other jurisdictions that he's been serving on for the county. So thank you uh, for that as well. Um, he's really good to work with. Yeah, I appreciate I that. I can say from my perspective, having watched Vamana, watched the Vamana board, Supervisor Letourneau is a very effective Vamana board member. I cannot say enough positive about him because he thinks in financial terms. He's Force the WMATA staff to tell us things that they would not normally tell us. For example, and I know I'm off on a 
tangent here, like I need to stop, but we have dedicated funding from all three, Virginia, D.C., and Maryland. At some point, that money is going to run out because it's used to back up debt service. Nobody was asking about when does it run out. Supervisor Eternal asked, when are we out of money? And and that, you know, those kinds of questions are thinking forward, and that's what that board really, really needs because there's just been a history. It's a very difficult organization culture-wise to work with. So. Right. Thanks, Penny. And, uh, sorry. Um, so, uh, also, you want to touch upon uh, the tab charter? Yes, yes. I'll try to do this as quickly as I can. And, Mark, this one's for you. Uh, <laughs> at least in part. What, um, there's a couple things I wanted to bring to your attention, and, and we may run out of time tonight to talk about it, but maybe I can throw it out and then we can talk about it in more detail. But um, one of the things that we look for as staff from you is the kinds of discussions we had tonight. <coughs> you have brought some really good ideas forward. One of the things that we've been talking about internally with staff uh, is how do we get more feedback from each of you about how our transit system is running. Now, a few months ago or weeks ago, we asked how many of you are riding the transit system. With COVID, not a lot of people are riding. But will you or do you think you will be riding transit in the future? Question. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay. Anybody else planning to ride? Because right next door. And and the history of on the bylaws is that when we had the commuter long haul service, a lot of the representatives to this committee were active users of the transit system. So I'm not saying that you have to be an active user of a system. But what I'm asking you to think about is how do you get feedback that you can give back to us that tells us what the ridership experience is? Because we really need that and seek that feedback from you. And that may be, I don't know if you've got the time to do, you know, meet people as they get off the bus and ask, how did it work for you? That type of thing. So maybe, maybe we can have a line item at the next meeting to allow time to provide that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, when I was riding Norfolk, I, I actually would tell people that I was on the board that I was getting in line, mm -hmm. um, and I got a lot of feedback. Good, <laughs> and that's what we want. Uh, yeah. A lot. Right, that was the intended purpose of the transit advisory board in the beginning was to really get feedback from the riders of all the services so we could understand where we were falling short, where we could get better, what the needs were. I do, I do the same thing, mm -hmm. and then I, I support within my agency. Yeah. And other agencies, I believe, there's a lot of other agencies. Checking out who drives the bus, the finance, the product. So I, I think that's a good suggestion, and I would say let's. So this uh, feedback that we are requesting is not just for long haul, but also for uh, Metro, Metro Connects and Local Buses, correct? Mm -hmm. And Paratransit. And Paratransit.
that perhaps you go as a group in my church. I don't know if there's a certain, you know, yeah. place that is a great suggestion. Okay, okay. Um, so I'll work on that. Um, Ray, do you, have, do you have a comment or a question? I'm sorry. Yeah, um, for the new kid on the block, well, new kids on the block, <laughs> um, is there any sort of identification that as board members we would acquire being on the board? Because if you if you want to go up to somebody and, and ask them for it, you know, <laughs> that's a good point. You know, I'm so careful what you ask for. You know, <laughs> like a, we had a card. Do we have like a card No, we never. There was never any. Oh, I did have. I had little nameplates. That we put up here, but no, nothing that we distribute to. And I and I made new ones for the new members, so I completely forgot. But uh, no, we don't we don't have any kind of ID. I think I gave up my car actually. Ah. Uh, as far as I know, we never, <laughs> never had business cards or anything. When's the last time you did an online survey? Even a business card. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't know that we can get a badge, but we might. Let me see what I can do. I'm going to get business cards made up for everybody on the board that they can just hand out. Yeah, we might be able to do that. And even, and even, and even, we can add those questions to the back of the business card with a with a contact email or something like that, so you can get that communication from the register. Yeah, with your
need a majority of active members to have a quorum. I think there's an advantage of having as many as we have in the room and on the recording today so that people, you know, a few people are absent, we still are able to achieve a quorum to, to proceed with activities. So. I, I think 15 is right, but um, right, right number. Um, but the district representatives and representatives from Chamber of Commerce and uh, Economic Development and uh, Long Haul and um, Metro Connect and um, and also uh, the local bus ridership that we are at the forefront. I think so, but unless uh, somebody feels we need to um, reduce it or increase it um, from our different uh, partnerships or entities. But it might be nice, and maybe not so much for The number is one way to look at it. Another way to keep connection that is, are there some perspectives that we think would be really valuable to bring on to the committee? Um, you know, either demographic perspectives, we've got kind of geographic perspectives, there's a usage perspective. There might be a few, you know, representatives that say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm representing this kind of perspective that could be helpful. I don't know what it would be, but that, that might be one way to look at it. I'll remain silent on this because I'm no longer objective. <laughs> 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 
position would be compromised. <laughs> I would say it seems like we do a really a good job at the minute here. Maybe, oh. even, maybe even better than we really need to. Yeah. I, I will definitely I have a biased opinion, of course, but Mark has um, taken the minutes. Like, you can read the minutes now and get a feel, real feel for what was happening in the meeting and, and ideas that were coming up. Um, so there probably would be a degradation of the level that you're getting with that, but uh, certainly would be less of a load for any what? individual members. And I just wonder if it would be impactful, the degradation. That's what I was saying. Like, this is exceptionally well done, um, which is a great thing to have. If I could provide a counterbalance to that, uh, it's a continuous continuity of, of, uh, of, of uh, how this works. So, you know, Mark might decide not to be part of this board anymore. Might, Mark might get might become chair next in the next term. I don't know the answer to that, but um, if we can have continuity, I, and knowing that at least the, the first round of, of minutes are done, and it's in the format, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's pretty standard, candidly, for the staff to write the initial mm -hmm. draft of minutes. Um, as much as I love Mark's much more detailed version, I'm concerned should all of us are temporary. You know, all of us have a wait here till 23 or something like that, right? So if we don't come back, I don't want to leave a massive hole for the next four. Because the temporary is five years.
and you can let us know if we miss something that we need to be sure to be picking up as we go yeah. into the future. But I, I, think, I do think that's I think, uh, the staff would share with uh, secretary and vice chair and mm -hmm. chair. Um, I think that'll be helpful so we, we get um, extra pairs of verifies, um, just to be sure. And then we can also distribute that. Yeah. And then we can um, distribute to the membership uh, for their um, final review. All right. Um, so, Sarah, you had a last item on this, the TLEC meeting? Uh, yeah, just real quickly, I think Penny touched on this. We're presenting an item, um, a two part item within our department, uh, one part covers how pedestrians and bicyclists will access the Metro Rail. The second part is I'm presenting a summary of all of the new transit routes that we're proposing to connect with, uh, and I'll come with graphics and basic information about the level of service of each of those routes. And you're presenting them when? Uh, that will be April 20th to the TLAC. And you can all watch from home are all televised. Well, that tie in, to the right here. Correct. That's what, um, that's what Penny uh, mentioned earlier. That's why we deferred uh, taking your recommendation. Uh, we tabled that item yeah. till May 18th, so we have further information. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can you send us a reminder or connect, uh, links for that? Sure. Yeah, we can do that. It w probably won't be, um, the links won't be available till like a week ahead of the meeting. The Friday before, I yeah. think. Yeah, it's also on cable, I think, cable TV as well. Yeah. I prefer to watch it that way if I'm home. But um, any questions, comments? Um, to Sarah? Sarah, if you could share any documents that you might be preparing for that meeting, if you could share them. Um, when you have it shared to the board, that would be awesome. Yeah, I can certainly share with you. The, the, the write-up yeah. for it, I won't be able to do that until it's gone through the internal review process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's but part of that share, is yeah. the uh, the graphics, which you've already seen, of the routes. Yeah. Uh, so that's in there. And then I've put together a table that summarizes how often the bus is coming, what the hours of service are, you know, where it goes, a little description.
something of that nature. Um, and then I, um, I did realize that um, I, I do realize that Sparky have reached out to get more insights on that and have a course connected. So. Well, and to put that in perspective, the gentleman that wrote the editor to the letter, the letter to the editor, uh, basically stated his run was not time to the trade the way that you would like it. And he's correct. The reality of it is, is there are how many trades on that run? Six or seven? And, and six of them are time to the train. His just happens to be the one that's not. And it's because, you know, it's a loop, right? Every time the bus comes back, we try to, we literally have to time it as best we could to reach as many as possible. Um, and if you're taking the train to the station, I mean, the bus to the station, you're fine. It's when you're getting off and you're having to wait a little, a little bit of time. So we're, you know, I, I don't know if there's anything we can do. That. We're looking at that, maybe moving things back a couple of minutes, but uh, if we can, we will. Perfect. No, yeah, uh, I just want to say thank you for taking care of that um, to the staff as well. Um, so I think um, so the next business meeting um, is uh, for the tab is tentatively proposed for uh, 7 p.m. Uh, because we'll be meeting in person again on the evening of uh, Wednesday, May 18th at the Ashburn Library uh, Main Rooms. Um, located at um, Main Rooms A, B, located at 43163 Road, um, Ashburn, Virginia. 24 7. Is that Main Room confirmed? Yes, that, that is confirmed. Okay, so it's it's, uh, it's proposed, it's confirmed to meet there on May for the TAB membership. And also on the days when Lowndes County Public Schools are closed due to the weather, uh, like last Saturday. That's because they're closed. So, um, and the county government is closed. The transfer was board meeting will be canceled. Any new business? Uh, I'll just say that uh, since I'm limited to scheduling, since staff is limited to scheduling the meetings um, beyond 60 days ahead of the meeting date uh, for the libraries to reserve the space. Uh, after this meeting, within 60 days, we'll start looking for the Ju uh, July meeting. Yes, for the July meeting, uh, and I was going to look at going back to the Stirling Library or possibly the Brambleton Library. The Brambleton Library is a new facility. Uh, our new routes will go near there, uh, so those were two that I was going to look at. Feel free to let me know if there are other places that you would like us to look at for scheduling these. Do they need to be in a library or They need to building? be in a publicly accessible facility that has internet access and is handicap accessible. Any new business? Seeing yeah. none? All right, meetings adjourned. Two hours. <laughs> Thank you all. Thank you.